Grab your Bible and you're in Genesis chapter 37. How many of you still reading the F260 plan? Any of you? Awesome. I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. This is the first time as a church we've been reading through a single Bible reading plan together. And, and uh, the Foundations 260, um, 260 foundational passages throughout the Bible this year. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's less than reading through your typical reading plan. So you're one or two chapters a day, which uh, has really helped me just slow down and be able to see things that you don't normally see and spend some time uh, meditating and contemplating uh, these different things in the reading. And um, it's been really good for my soul. I hope it has for you as well. If you have not jumped in with us, we really encourage you to. Um, you can go to uh, bayutala.com slash the word or just on the homepage of the website. There's some resources. You can download the reading plan and follow along. And uh, if you're behind, you're like, man, it's end of January. I I'm too far behind to get started. Just jump in with us where we are. And so we're starting week five tomorrow. So just jump into week five and you'll be right on track, okay? Um, but today we are in Genesis 37. Let's read the first four verses, although we are going to be discussing and studying these, the whole chapter. But uh, for our time this morning, let's read the first four verses and then we'll pray. Are you there? All right. Genesis 37. Uh, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing in the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah and father, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you that you um, are here, that you're among us. Uh, Father, I thank you for the work you've already begun in our presence today. And I pray that that would just open us up to receiving a word from you from Genesis 37. I pray that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding to teach us, Lord, and that our faith and our trust in you would be strengthened today um, uh, by your word and through your spirit. So come and have your way, Lord. Guide my speech. I pray that I would only say what is pleasing to you and edifying to the saints, God. So come and, and have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. So uh, let's get a little context uh, for what's going on in Genesis 37. Did you know that 25% of the book of Genesis is devoted to one, the life of one single character? And that's the character we're studying today, Joseph. No other person, there's no, there's no more passages devoted to any other person than Abraham. So Abraham has 14 chapters devoted to him, and Joseph has 14 chapters devoted to him. So it's, a, it's a pretty significant that a quarter of the first book of the Bible is devoted to the life of this one man. And uh, it's fascinating 
that we're only really given two chapters about the creation of the world, the origin of the world. And it's interesting because we are, and they're really not really detailed chapters. There's a lot of questions that those first two chapters raise. But uh, what's interesting is because we are so fascinated by origins. The questions that we have are about origins and the beginning of things. But he devotes two chapters to the origin of things and 14 chapters to the life of this one man. Why is that? Why is that? And I think it's because we as people were interested in origins, but God is interested in people and mostly his uh, redemptive plan for mankind. And Joseph here is a picture of Christ. Joseph is a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah. And um, so some cliff notes for what we're looking at here. We met Jacob uh, earlier in uh, the reading, and um, his name means heel grabber or a deceiver. It could be translated. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It's one of those two things, heel grabber or deceiver. Um, and that's what he did. He deceived his father, and um, everything fell apart from there. It's just things started to unravel, not go too well. Um, Jacob and his wife, Rachel, they wanted... Uh, children And they tried to have children for many years, but did not succeed. She was barren for many years. Um, but over time, God answers their prayer, and she gives birth to a son, and they name him Joseph. And so this is Rachel's first son, and then later she gives birth to another son named Benjamin, but she dies giving birth uh, to Benjamin. What I want us to see today is, uh, or, or the goal for our time today, is to encourage you to uh, trust Jesus, no matter what, to trust Jesus by identifying his sovereign plan in the life of Joseph. See, this story, the story of Joseph, is a story of God's uh, providence. That's the title of the message today, Providence in the Pit. And providence, simply put, this is a very simplistic definition of providence, but God's providence is what, that he uses natural events um, to accomplish his supernatural purposes. That he's orchestrating all of the ordinary circumstances of life to accomplish his predetermined plan. That's what providence is, that God is working in all things. And so today we're all coming from different backgrounds and different experiences. And, and maybe you ha you've had a challenging past or maybe you have a challenging present. And I want us all to see that we trust, that we can trust God, that he knows what he's doing and that he has our best intentions in mind. And so we're going to see four things uh, in, the, in the passage today as kind of four overarching themes. And the first one is this, that uh, Jacob's, if you're taking notes, Jacob's delight. Jacob's delight. We see that in these first four verses. He says, these are the generations of Jacob in verse 2. Joseph being 17 years old, he was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with, son, uh, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, father's wives and and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
And uh, now Israel, which is uh, Jacob's other name, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than their brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So it says that Jacob loved Joseph uh, more. Now it tells us here because he was the son of his old age. I think it was probably more than that because he had several sons in his older age. Um, I think that part of it is that Rachel was Jacob's first love. Right? Jacob's the one who, uh, Rachel's the one who he saw and he wanted to marry and he was wor- willing to work seven years to marry her. And so he worked seven years to be able to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, and then Laban does a little switcheroo on the wedding night, right? And then he's willing to work another seven years so that he can get Rachel. And, um, and so this is the one that he loved, and there's all this family drama because Leah, Rachel's sister, who he also married. I mean, it's weird. The Old Testament is weird. I was just going to say that, okay? It's weird, and, and, and you know, some people are like, why, why in the Old Testament, you know, your God in the Old Testament, he, he allowed polygamy, and that was a thing. Like, that's what God's people did back in the Old Testament. Like, show me one positive example of polygamy in the Old Testament, right? It's all a mess. It's all a mess. And so there's all this family drama between Rachel and Leah, and um, Leah can have babies, but Jacob, Jacob doesn't really like her very much. And um, so this is, this is Rachel's first child. And, and I think that contributes partially to why Jacob has uh, such love for him and favoritism towards him. And it says that he gave him a robe of many colors. A robe of many colors. The footnote in my Bible, as probably yours, says that this could also be translated as a robe of long sleeves, a long-sleeved robe. And, uh, and, and so there's a few different, there's a debate on, you know, how to translate this. Either way, it, it, it was a fancy robe. It was flashy. It was different than what his brothers had. And if it was a long-sleeved robe, then that means that he probably didn't do much manual labor. Right, Because whenever you went to go do labor, you had a short-sleeved robe and it was a shorter robe so that you could move and work and, and get stuff done. But if he had these really long sleeves and this really long robe, uh, he was probably not doing much manual labor. So uh, not only is, is jo- Jacob showing him favoritism, he's also very visibly showing it by giving him this fancy robe. It'd be like him going to work in a tuxedo. That's kind of what it looks like here. And so his, his brothers have Wrangler uh, jeans and, and uh, t-shirts on, and he comes out in this tuxedo. He's the youngest. He's 17 years old, but it seems like he's the supervisor. He comes out with a clipboard as they're getting work done. And so they, they really are not Uh, not liking that, and even more so to contribute to it, it says in verse 2 that he brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. So Joseph, we learn here that he was the first tattletale. Who was the tattletale in your family? Did you have a tattletale in your family? And uh, no one likes the tattletale because you can't trust the tattletale, (laughs) right? Um, But that's Jacob. I mean, that's Joseph. I'm telling you, I'm going to get these names mixed up the entire sermon. Just buckle up. That's Joseph. That's who he is. He's young. He's favored. He's pampered. Uh, 
Jacob shows clear favoritism uh, to him out of one, one child out of the 12. So favoritism to one child, which sounds like a recipe for family harmony, right? Um, Jacob is setting him apart, saying, Joseph is my prized possession. He's the chosen one. He's the favored one. And the other brothers hated him for this. Um, the idea here is that favoritism and partiality always stirs up strife in a family. That we should not show partiality. Can you imagine my, my children? I have twin sons. They just turned two, and uh, one daughter, she's about to turn six. Their birthdays are within like 10 days of each other. And so we kind of celebrate them all together. But can you imagine if I set them all down and said, okay, you're all one year older. And so here I got one of you a bunch of presents. Because I like you the most. <laughs> you're like, why would you do that? That's, that's a terrible idea. Can you imagine the contempt that would, be, would rise up in the other two siblings if only one of them was favored in that way. And that's what's happening here. Um, bad plan, bad plan. Christians should never show partiality because, because God doesn't show partiality to us. Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. That God, I know that you have the t-shirt that says, you know, Jesus likes you, but I'm his favorite. But you're not. There, there are no favorites. He shows no partiality. And we should follow his example and do our best to not show partiality. And it happens subtly. Why can't you be more like your sister? Why couldn't you behave more like your brother? Why are you falling behind Sally had a, an okay time with it. Why didn't you? And it happens subtly where you begin to compare and contrast your, your children against each other. And uh, that is a recipe for disaster. But this is in their family. This is like, like father, like son. Because if you remember back um, to Jacob's parents, Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac and Rebekah, did this too. They showed favoritism to their children. Rebecca favored Jacob and Isaac favored Esau. And it created all this dysfunction in the home where even, where even uh, Rachel, uh, Rebecca, because of her favoritism towards Jacob, she helped Jacob deceive their father into blessing him instead of his older brother. And what that caused is Esau, Jacob's brother, to want to kill Jacob, which ran Jacob out of town. And so we see that favoritism shown to children, you know, he experienced the same thing. Favoritism uh, bred a desire for murder in both cases. Here's the point I want you to see, is that um, just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's right. So Jacob grew up in a family that this was normal. Mom showed favoritism to me. I was loved more than my brother. And it was completely normal for him to do that for his children. 
it's okay for me to show partiality to one. Um, but just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's right or that it's okay. And we have to evaluate some of the things that we inherited as we grew up and what of those things do we need to discard and say, not in my house, it stops here with me. And so jo uh, Jacob's delight, he has this delight towards Joseph. And then secondly, Joseph's dreams. Joseph's dreams. Let's look at verse 5. Now Joseph had uh, a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in a field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers. And he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to uh, his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this saying, in mind. And so Joseph dream, uh, has this dream, and the dream is from the Lord, right? And, so, and sometimes God does speak through dreams. But God doesn't always speak through dreams. Or maybe I should say that your dreams are not always from God. Some people spend way too much time trying to interpret their dreams to, to see if they're, you know, mean something or have some prophetic significance. And as, no, most of your dreams, I don't know why dreams happen, but they do. I dreamed last night. It was weird, okay? I've been dreaming a lot lately. I'm not looking for significance in the dreams. Although they could be. <laughs> so I, I just want you to see that sometimes dreams are from the Lord. Sometimes, most times, they're not but it can happen. Okay. But, but he goes on. So he dreams this dream, and then he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And, uh, and so he dreams this dream, and, and, and the dream is of these sheaves. So as you gather wheat, you're cutting it down, you gather it in these bundles, and you bundle it, and you stand it up. And he's like, so we were doing this in the field, and we all stood our sheaves up, and um, all yours, they just started falling down in front of mine. And they gained from that what was intended to be gleaned from it, which you're saying that we're all going to bow down to you? Is that what you're saying? Joseph, remember he's 17-year-old Joseph, little pampered, spoiled Joseph. Is that what you think is going to happen? I don't think so. Um, uh, <laughs> you can imagine here that... God gives Joseph this dream for Joseph. He didn't give Joseph this dream to be shared with others. See, sometimes God gives you something just for your personal edification, for your personal building up of your faith. 
to help you take a next step of faith. And it's not always intended to be shared. But he shares it, and it gets him in trouble because it comes across as prideful. So he shares this dream. His brothers hate him for it, and, uh, but it doesn't stop there. That's not enough. Then he's like, well, hey, guys, I had another dream. It's like, what? You got a, you had another dream? Why are you telling us this? Haven't you learned your lesson? But no, you know, he's naive maybe. And, and so he says, I had another dream. You'll never believe it. It was better than the last one because last time it was just you guys. This time mom and dad's included. So the moon and the stars and the sun, they all bow down to me. And the bowing down is not that of worship, but a bowing down of a submission. And, um, and his dad rebukes him for it this time. What we see here is uh, the first time that he tells him the dream, it could have simply just been unwise. God gave him a dream for him. He shared it with his brothers. It wasn't the best thing to do, seeing that there was already kind of some family drama happening. Um, the second time he shares the dream was probably sinful. There's sometimes where you're stirring up things you don't need to stir up. And uh, you're contributing to dysfunction that, that's not helpful. And maybe you just shouldn't say that. And, um, and so possibly it, it did begin to produce some pride in Joseph. But God gave him a dream for him. Which means this, that, you, that we need to be sensitive with how we share what God is leading us to do with others. We've got to be sensitive, we've got to be careful whenever we share with others what God is leading us to do, because it could be taken as prideful. That not everything given to us is meant to be shared. This dream was from God, and this dream will come true. All his brothers and his whole family is going to bow down to him in submission um, in a few chapters. And so it will come true, but it wasn't the right time to share with the family. Some things God tells you are just for you. Um, and so whenever we hear from God in any way, we need to wait for the right time to share. There's been two times, at least in the last two years, really, that I've gotten impressions, not a dream, but I've got a strong impression of from something from the Lord. And I didn't tell anyone until it began, began to come to pass. And the reason for that is I don't want to manipulate people with God told me. That's a strong thing to say. And so I don't want to go to somebody and say, God told me that you should be doing this. Or God told me that you will do that. Or God told me that we should do this. Um, unless it's really, really, really from God. We've got to be careful with that type of language. And so there's been twice. I was, and, but then once it starts to come to pass, I'm like, wow, God, that was you. It's incredible. When you have one of those moments where things like happen the way that God told you it would happen, I'm so glad that I didn't go around like sharing that to people because then I would think maybe I made that happen. But God is the one who made it happen. I'm even, I'm even um, skeptical or, or, or like, I hate sharing even positive examples from my own life because I don't want you to think that I get it right all the time because I rarely get it right. Uh, I shared with you last week about a time that I got it wrong, okay? And so 
Um, but also, anytime you share a positive example of something you did, well, let me tell you how it's done. There was this one time, like, like anytime you do that, it can be perceived as prideful and, not, and then not received. And that seems to be what is happening to him. Also, we need to see in the story of Joseph that just because God gives you a promise or he gives you a dream or, or something of that nature uh, doesn't mean that it's always going to be up and to the right from that point on. Like sometimes it just goes straight downhill. And so he has these glorious dreams and then he gets thrown into a pit. And that's really the next section here, uh, the brother's disdain. So we have Jacob's delight in Joseph and Joseph's dream and the brother's disdain for their brother. Let's skip down to verse 18 um, before we read that. Um, Jacob sends Joseph to go and check on his brothers. Where are his brothers? Well, his brothers are out working. Where is Joseph? Not working, apparently. Um, so he says, go check on your brothers and bring me back a report. And then in verse 18, we, we see what happened. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands by saying, let us not take his life. And Rumid said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, uh, the might that he might rescue him out from their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and his robe um, of many colors that he wore. And when they took him, they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. When they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels and bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And so then they, you know, are going to sell them into, um, going to sell them into slavery. So they want to kill him. They see him coming. They say, we're going to kill this guy, this dreamer, get rid of him finally. And um, so you can imagine the hatred they have for him. And, uh, and then his brother Reuben's like, well, let's not, let's not kill him just yet. We're, we, we're hungry. Let's get a full stomach, get our strength before we're going to kill our brother. Let's put him in the pit until then. And he was planning on rescuing him, but then they wanted to sell him into slavery. The opportunity arose. So they wanted to kill him. And then verse 23 says that they stripped him of his robe. They stripped him of his robe. This is the same language used um, when you strip an animal of its skin. And so this is a, a ripping off of uh, his robe. And they, this is a, a symbol of their rejection of him. They're rejecting his position as the favored one of his father. They're rejecting his person by uh, stripping him of his dignity. And, and, um, and they, they hate him. Verse 4, it says that they hated him. Verse 5 says they hated him even more. Verse 8 says, and they hated him even more. So they keep hating him more and more and more. And what is this hatred fueled by? Well, there's three things that we see right here. The first one is it's fueled by the favoritism that he got from Jacob, their father. Verse 4 says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So it's like a common greeting in the Jewish culture is, is what? Shalom. You greet one? Shalom. They couldn't even greet him peacefully. 
They couldn't even say shalom to this guy. Shalom. So his favoritism uh, and then pride by, by Joseph. Verse 5 says, Now Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They perceived this as something proud. Verse 8 says, His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So they hate him for his pride. They hate him for his favoritism. And they hate him because the envy that they had of him. Look at verse 11. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. It's interesting that his father, although his father rebuked him for expressing this dream, his father had all these promises that were passed down to him from God about his, his offspring being great. And so it says that his father pondered these things. So even though he rebuked, rebuked Joseph in front of the brothers, he was thinking, is this really God? Is this the fulfillment? And, uh, but his brothers hated him. They envied him. They were jealous of him. Be careful with envy of others. See, it can be, it can be tempting that whenever we see God doing great things or unique things through someone else, it can be tempting to be jealous. How come God doesn't do that in my life? How come God, how come God doesn't use me to do that? I would love to do that. How come God and become envious of other people's gifting or other people's ministry? And, and he was like, don't look, God has something planned for you. God has something for you to do. And so if we're so focused on what he has something for someone else, we miss totally what he wants us to do. And so here they envy him and it leads them to uh, greed, wanting to get profit from selling him and and leads them to want to murder him. I want you to see that we should not reject God's message because we don't like God's messenger. The message, the dream, was from God. This was from God, and it, it was to come to pass. But they rejected the message because they hated the messenger. Which means this. You might not always like who God uses to speak to you. You might not always like how God uses, or the circumstances God uses to speak to you. But we should be open to hear from God even through imperfect messengers. Verse 25 says that they sat down to eat. So they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan, and they saw this. Um, so, so they throw them in a pit, and then they're like, all right, let's have lunch. It's lunchtime, guys. So you can just uh, imagine they, they, they rejected him, they rejected his position, they re now they're rejecting his pleas. Although it doesn't say this, we can, um, I, I think, accurately um, ascertain that Joseph was pleading. So Joseph is in the pit, and they threw him in this pit, and he um, might have been injured as a result. He could have potentially been injured as they threw him into this pit. And the reason I say that is because the 20 shekels that they sold him for was, was the price of a handicapped slave. And so either they just didn't value him very much or he was injured in some way whenever they sold him. Um, but he's in this pit screaming for help. Come on, guys, let me out. Come on, Reuben, help me. Levi, come on, don't leave me in here. I'm hungry. I'm hurt. 
Help me. And you got to think that those pleas, those cries for help haunted these brothers for 20 plus years. Because 20 years later, we see in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21, when they reconnect with him, as he is now uh, in a leadership role in Egypt, chapter 42, verse 21 says, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. You can imagine these cries for help as they years, years pass and they live with this guilt and this shame of I can't believe we sold our brother, guys. You heard him cry. You heard him plead. But they don't listen. They reject him. They reject him. So this is the brother's disdain. It starts with Jacob's delight and then now it ends with Jacob's distress. It's the last point, Jacob's distress. Look at Genesis 37 again, uh, verse 32. The brothers, they came up with a story. Um, they tore the robe and they dipped it in blood and they brought it to their father to try to convince him that uh, Joseph had been eaten uh, by a wild animal or something and they just stumbled across this. So now they're going to deceive their father. And, and actually start in verse 31, chapter 37, verse 31, where it says, they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat. This is important and dipped the robe in the blood. They slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in a blood. What's fascinating here, or ironic, is that, um, that they used a goat to deceive their father Jacob. But if you remember back, their father Jacob used a goat to deceive his father Isaac. You remember when he wanted to go convince, convince his father Isaac that he was Esau, so he'd give him the blessing and he told his mom, he's like, Mom, I'm like smooth. Like, I'm, I'm really smooth. And Esau, he's hairy. You know, he's like big and furry. And God, Dad's going to know. And so, and so it says that uh, Rebecca, his mom, then killed a goat, a young goat, skinned it, and wrapped it around um, Jacob so that he would feel furry. And so Jacob deceived his father Isaac by killing a goat. And here... His sons now are deceiving him by killing a goat, which means you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We don't, we don't believe in karma, right? But there is a law of you reap what you sow, the law of the harvest. And uh, it seems like, do you ever, you ever feel this way as a parent? Any parents here where where you have kids and you feel like they're payback for what you did to your parents? <laughs> you, ever, you ever feel that way? And, uh, and, and you know that because your parents, the grandparents, they come in and they say, you are just like that. <laughs> and you're like, ah, okay. Like, you reap what you sow. I did this to my parents. So kids, be careful, whoever you are, kids in the room. Be careful. What you do to your parents might come back to you when you have kids. Um, that's what happens here. Verse 32 says, 
And they sent uh, the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found, lies. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. He identified it and said, It is my son's robe, a fierce animal. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph, without a doubt, was torn into pieces. I find this fascinating that that, um, the deception here takes very minimal effort in the sense that they really didn't lie to their dad. Right? They, They just said, look, we found this robe. Does this look like Joseph's? They didn't tell him, we found Joseph, he got eaten. You know, they, they didn't make up this whole elaborate story. They just, brought the, they just brought the robe. And it's interesting, that's how the serpent deceived Eve in the, in the garden. He, he didn't tell her to eat of the fruit. He, the serpent never told Eve to eat of the fruit. He just, hey, did God really say? And put some doubt in her mind and said, this kind of looks good, you know. And, and there was minimal effort in the deception. So it seems like, hey, be careful how you deceive people because you might not be blatantly lying to them, but how are your actions and your behaviors deceiving people? All right. That was just a tangent. wasn't planned. Let's keep going wherever we are. <laughs> Tell us whether it's your, your son's robe or not. And he identified it. Uh, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn into pieces. And then Jacob tore his garments and his sackcloth on his loins and mourned for many days. And his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. And he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol or to the grave to, uh, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Wow, this is a tragic story. There's, there's uh, tragic results of these sad events. Here's the tragic results. Um, Joseph ends up in slavery. So now he's, in, he's enslaved and ultimately going to be imprisoned later. So Joseph ends up in slavery. Um, Jacob here ends up in sorrow. We have to assume that, that he mourned for 20 plus years. That was whenever he was reunited with Joseph in the future. So for 20, over 20 years, he mourned the death of his son. That's what he said he would do. He said, I'm going I'm to go down to my grave mourning this. He could not be comforted because of this. So Joseph is in slavery, Jacob is in sorrow, and his brothers are in shame and guilt. Look at chapter 42, I'm sorry, 44, verse 16. Uh, give us an idea of how they have felt over these years. 44 verse 16 says, And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Both we and also those um, hand the cup has been found. He's like, we've been guilty. We've been living with the shame of selling you into slavery for 20 years. And so there's no winners here. There's no winner here. Sin always destroys. Sin always leads to death. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer, as we say around here. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. When God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. 
And there's no winners here. Joseph is in slavery. Jacob is in sorrow. And his brothers are in shame. And if the story ends here, it's pretty bleak. But Joseph, even in the midst of a pit, is exactly where God wants him to be. This is just where God wants him to be. God is using this pit to form and prepare him for what he has planned for him. What's, what's amazing is that we never see Joseph complaining for his plight in life. We never see, he's, he never complains or grumbles because of, because of the things that he's experienced or the things that have happened to him. I think he realized that setbacks are tools that God uses to grow him. That God uses difficulties and, and hard circumstances and tragedies to shape us and form us into the people he wants us to be. To prepare us for the future that he has for us. Many of you in this room have experienced difficulty beyond measure. Difficulty that if we got together and you shared what you've been through, we would weep together. And I want you to know that God uses everything, even the pit, for good. Uh, so we should not let our past define us. We should, we should not live uh, just holding on to the things that have happened to us, but allow those things to shape us into the people that God wants us to be. And while, I heard someone say it this week, that while life doesn't always seem fair, God is always faithful. While, while, while life is not fair, God is always faithful. We get this idea out of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a verse that's quoted very often, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. All things, that He's working every circumstance for good of those who are His. And fortunately, that's not the end of the story for Joseph because God had to bring Joseph through the pit and through the shackles of prison to elevate him to prominence in the palace. That it was through the difficulties of his life that it seems like the pit and the prison matured Joseph a little bit. We see he's kind of immature and naive and maybe prideful in his early years. But it seems like these experiences built the character of God into Joseph in a way that he would need in order to be placed in the position of authority he was going to be given in the palace. Can you imagine if little 17-year-old, prideful, immature Joseph would have been given a position in the palace? That would have been uh, catastrophic for him and everyone under his rule. But God used this to shape him. And um, God used Joseph to fulfill the promises that he had made to uh, his father Jacob. And he used Joseph to preserve the entire family. They, when the famine came, it was all these circumstances that God used to put Joseph in a place and give him the wisdom to know how to handle a famine to keep everyone alive. So God had all these promises for his 
people, but a famine was coming that would have wiped them all out. They would have all starved to death. So he arranges all these events so that Joseph can be in a place where he can keep everyone alive, the entire family of Israel. These 12 brothers who are the 12 heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel, where the Messiah is going to come from to save the world. God uses Joseph here, all these events, working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, in the Old Testament, the verse that is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament is right here in Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, the brothers are feeling really guilty about what they did to their brother and they're apologizing and they're weeping, I'm sure. And Joseph responds like this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph looks back and says, look, you meant these things for evil. The enemy means it for evil. But God was working providentially through it all in order to arrange a place where people are kept alive. So I want you to see whatever happened in your past that's haunting you, whatever you're facing in the present today that seems overwhelming, trust that God is working in it and through it. Just trust God. Just trust God. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for our time in your word today. And Lord, I just pray that... Um, God, you'd help us to trust you in the difficulty, that we'd be encouraged from the life of Joseph that uh, you, there's providence in the pit and that even while, while we might be in the pit of our life right now or have been in the past, that you are, work through all of those things and you have our best intentions in mind, that you're doing something, something we cannot see. All we see around us is, a, is concrete walls dark of the pit but you have better things ahead for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Father, help us to trust you afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.